Thanks for being so warm and welcoming. It was really fun yesterday and um, last weekend that we came to. Memorial Day weekend was so nice. And I told my church back home, you guys are very friendly and welcoming. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my testimony. Um, I grew up in a Christian family, and I remember that my parents were very firm that salvation is not something that I just inherit, like just, you know, like being Chinese. It's not like, it's not like that, where like your parents are Christians, so then you just automatically are. Um, but I would have to make a personal decision on my own. Um, when I shared my testimony with the deacon's wives, I went over what I'm about to share fairly quickly. I made a profession of faith at a fairly young age, and since those early memories are not really numerous, I would generally use most of the time that I have for sharing my testimony, for sharing about how I've grown or I've been challenged in my faith throughout my life, um, which is something one of my Bible studies leaders in college who had a similar experience would do. But I realize now that when I zoom in on those early memories, I do have more to share, so I'll do a better job this time. Um, I remember a time when I was the only unbeliever in my family. This is like one of my few early memories. My parents were and are believers, and my brother, who is almost six years older than me, had already made a profession of faith. So I remember, I remember like I was on this side, and they were all believers. Um, I knew that God had created me, and I knew I had sinned, and that God punishes sinners in hell eternally. And I'm sure when you guys do Awana or VBS or Sunday school, you don't hide, I'm sure, from the youngest of children that God punishes sinners in hell eternally. I mean, that would do a disservice to the kids, right, to not tell them. And I knew that Jesus had died on the cross to save sinners. But I knew that I couldn't just ask him to be my savior without asking me, him to be my Lord. It's a package deal. There's no, you know, easy believism. So... Um, I knew that if I were to follow him as my Lord, I would have to obey my parents. <laughs> but I didn't always want to obey my parents, especially for the next 10 plus years. I mean, that's a long time. So that was the cost of discipleship to me as a kid under my parents' authority. Um, and I see the struggle in my children's eyes when, you know, they're trying to decide whether or not to obey me. Like, they look this way and they look that way and... You know, it's like I can see them weighing, you know, I really want to do what I want to do, but my, I know, you know, the right thing to do is to obey my mom. <laughs> um, and probably my parents saw that in my eyes, too. Um, you know, kids, they don't file taxes or keep timesheets or follow speed limits. They just have, like, one main command. You know, they don't have to face, like, a, a lot of adult temptations. It's just, like... Mainly one command, like obey your parents. And I struggled with whether or not I wanted to commit to doing that. And I knew that if Jesus became my Lord and Savior, I would have to commit to striving to obey my parents. Um, one day my parents took me to see a Christian play for children called Nathaniel the Grublet. And at the end of the play, there was an altar call. And I made a profession of faith that day to follow Christ. I knew I was a sinner and needed Jesus to save me from my sins, and I was won over by the gospel that day. After that day, I remember talking to a friend about Jesus and feeling joyful afterward, and I was a kid, and it was probably, I probably said something like very simple, like Jesus died on the cross for my sins, 
but I felt joyful afterward. And the gospel is both simple and deep. It's something that seminary professors would never say that they finish studying. But it's something, you know, as I mentioned before, that we can teach to very little ones, you know, as I'm sure you guys do in Sunday school and VBS and everything. Um, I do remember, however, that the, <clears throat> the gospel crystallized further for me in high school and into my adult years. And I realized that Jesus must be, you know, the only way. If heaven is a perfect place, only pe- perfect people deserve to go there, which is like nobody. Or sinners made perfect. And if, you know, when we look at all the other religions, um, you know, they're, they're mostly all works-based or they're like mysticism or something. And, you know, how can a works-based religion possibly be the solution given that even our best works are tainted by sin? And, you know, how can, how can we stand and defend ourselves before God on Judgment Day on our own merit? I mean, every mouth will be stopped. There's no, I mean, what can we even say? And we need Jesus' righteousness credited to our account. And then on top of that, you know, God created us. So he, he has every right to own us. So it's like he, we owe him our allegiance many times over. I don't remember my childhood profession of faith. This specific incident is not something I can recall. I made that profession of faith pretty young, but... I am, I'm encouraged by something John Piper shared regarding his testimony. He had made a profession of faith when he was six years old on his mother's knee, and he also has no recollection of that memory, but he says, the Bible tells me what happened to me. What happened to me was that I was raised from the dead. I am blown away by something I don't remember because the Bible tells me what happened to me. That is way more reliable than if I could remember it. With that said, though, I do remember praying at least one or more times in my life again, asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I went through a period of doubting as an adult sparked by trials in my career at an insurance company. And although I was pretty sure I would say prior to those trials, I figured it doesn't hurt to make absolutely sure and that God would be gracious to me even if I was being overly cautious. And it's better to pray too many times for salvation than not even one genuine time. And as a Christian, I know that there's no one better to rule my life than God. There's no one better to live for as well. Um, I know my own foolishness and my own lack of knowledge. I mean, that's why, you know, I have to pray to God for wisdom and for guidance. And I am certainly not the right person to rule my own life. I mean, I see my own, you know, misjudgments and sin, and, and then living for myself would make me an increasingly selfish person. And even unbelievers, they don't like people who live for themselves. Like, I think they, they see that too. Um, and then living for another hu- mere human being, you know, even as wonderful as my husband is, you know, it's not right to put him on that kind of pedestal and just be like, I'm going to just live for my husband and, and you know worship him or, you know, that would just end up in disappointment as that other person is a sinner also. And that's not fair to that person to expect that of them. And then living for money or power or pleasures would be futile and unfulfilling. We see examples of that all the time, you know, like movie stars and 
people who are super wealthy committing suicide or overdosing. I mean, obviously this is not what you're supposed to be living for. God is the best and only person to live for, and he's the one who gives me power to obey him, a desire to please him, and puts in me a love for fellow believers and a concern for the lost. I know that my, that does not come from my sinful self. Like, that's a desire God puts in us. And even though I don't do these things perfectly at all, I have hope because I know he's at work in me. He's doing something. Philippians 1, 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I know I, I can't bring it to completion on my own strength, but he can, and that gives me hope. So, again, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my testimony. Um, if it's okay, I thought I'd open it up to any questions for me. I think the Q&A later is more for Joe. But if anyone has any questions for me about what I shared or really anything, <laughs> or you can feel free to talk to me later. We'll be here most of the day, as you guys, <laughs> same as you guys. So, you know, feel free to talk to me later. I appreciate you're, you're not uptight. I think you do this because you enjoy sharing your testimony. Each of us should enjoy that privilege of telling others what Christ has done for us. So you were very calm and you enjoy doing it, I can tell. <laughs> Thank you. And you guys are really like a, a family, so that helps. <laughs> There's one time I shared my testimony in college in front of, I don't know, maybe 150 people. I went, I went to Grace Community Church at that time, John MacArthur's church, and they had a big college fellowship at, my, um, at the college I went to. That's probably like the biggest number of people. <laughs> so maybe that helps, because then, you know, relatively, like this is comfortable. <laughs> Well, feel free to, you know, approach me later, and I can ask you about your testimony, too. <laughs> okay. Okay, so for me, um, we're pretty different, <laughs> um, our, our upbringings. Um, I mean, number one, uh, different parts of the country. So I grew up in uh, southeast Michigan, suburbs of Detroit. Uh, my dad's from central Ohio, uh, Mansfield area, and uh, his whole side of the family for, I don't know, probably about 100, since early 1800s, they were farmers. He was the first one to come up um, to, to leave Ohio, and he went to uh, be, work in the auto industry where he met my mom, who um, she, uh, she's probably third generation American, different... Um, backgrounds of European, but um, our religious background, um, my dad's background, his family, um, they're mostly moral people. They would, I think most of them would say they believe in God. Um, I don't think, later on I learned that there's distant um, cousins or, you know, um, that are believers, uh, but no, no believers really in my 
dad's immediate side of the family. Um, my mom's side was a uh, Roman Catholic, uh, but they were pretty, pretty nominal, um, the holiday Catholics, you know, and uh, her, her grandmother was probably the most devout that would um, try to go every Sunday and uh, go, go to the important, um, I guess, uh, festivals and holidays and stuff. Um, but she was, uh, when they brought us up, uh, she was adamant that we went to Roman Catholic school. And it was more for the education than it was because she didn't want us to go to public school. So during that, when we, me and my um, siblings, I, I, I'm the middle child of five, and so we are going to Roman Catholic school. And so during that time in our upbringing, we went to church. But later on around, um, I was about eight years old, my parents uh, separated. And a couple of years later, they got a divorce. And when their divorce was finalized, um, they, they didn't have enough money to keep sending us to Roman Catholic school. So we stopped going to school. Um, I think I finished up, up until the sixth grade. And then, uh, so since we were no longer, going, no longer going to Roman Catholic school, we stopped going to church. And so um, I didn't, I, I thought, and me, me and my, my siblings, we, we thought we were Christians. Um, and uh, probably my oldest sister would probably more so, because she went up until the ninth grade. So a little bit more of the Roman Catholic teaching on her part. You know, she still thinks she's a Catholic, but she doesn't go to church. Um, but I, I remember only learning... Um, just the basic popular Bible stories, Ten Commandments, um, some of the Roman Catholic uh, sacraments, uh, First Communion, and um, I wasn't confirmed. I did First Communion. I you know, was taught the Rosary, um, some other things, Stations of the Cross um, the, during Easter. Um, just all those, you know, rituals, which, but there wasn't much depth. I didn't really know that much. And so I thought I was a Christian, per se. I, I didn't even know about other denominations. I, I remember one time going down the road with my mom and seeing some other church, either it was a Methodist or some, some other church, and I'm just like, Mom, what are, what's that? And they're like, oh, they, they believe something different. <laughs> And that was it. <laughs> so I, I never, and I never, I, I didn't know and I, I didn't really care until about um, eighth grade when I was going uh, to public school. I remember hanging out with some guys um, before class outside the school. And I remember the topic of religion came up and I was just, I said, oh, I'm a Christian. And some guy's like, that's stupid. And another guy was, he said, he said, why are you making fun of him? He can believe what he wants to believe. And that guy wasn't, I mean, none of them were Christian. And, and it ended it. But I went away from that conversation and thinking, why do I believe what I believe? Is it just what my parents taught me? Is it what I grew up? And so it was good because it, had, it, it, it provoked me to think. Um, but then throughout um, high school, um, the rest of high school, I just con I, I lived like everybody else, um, the normal um, American um, high school kid. And, and I grew up in a blue-collar, very blue-collar community. Um, 
suburbs of Detroit. And uh, so most people were um, some way connected to the auto industry, um, but very blue collar, kind of lower middle class. And uh, so got involved into, you know, a lot of the normal things, rock and roll and, and, and partying and, and drinking. And then, uh, you know, uh, and it started, started smoking cigarettes when I was like 14. And, and uh, then that went on to smoking marijuana and other things like that, the party scene, which wasn't, it wasn't as if I fell into the bad crowd. It was everybody. It was everybody. I, even looking back in high school, I can only think of maybe, maybe two kids that may have been like moral, may have been believers, I don't know. Um, but only like two or three high school kids that didn't do what everybody else was doing. I went to a high school where at any, one, at any point in time there was uh, two, two pregnant teenagers <laughs> or more walking around. Um, Thankfully, I, went, I didn't go to high school that, where there was violence. There was drugs and alcohol and, and immorality, but there, thankfully there wasn't a lot of violence. There wasn't gangs or anything. Um, so that was good. But, um, you know, American pop culture was my influence. Um, you know, the, the, the music and, and television and movies of, you know, the 80s and 90s and, and everything, all the ideologies and that came with that. That was what informed my worldview. And I didn't even really, I don't even really think I thought much about Christianity that much. Um, I, I had some basic knowledge from Catholic school, like Trinity, um, Jesus died for our sins, Ten Commandments, uh, some of the Bible characters, but that was it. Um, I remember uh, some of my friends uh, dabbling in Eastern religions, Zen Buddhism and stuff like that, but it was more along the lines of what you would um, hear in our pop culture, like things that, you know, you hear through like Star Wars, The Force, all that mysticism that's found in our movies and, and music and TV that um, comes from other worldviews and other religions. So I had kind of one of those you know, weird worldview where I would believe in s supernatural things or mystical things or like there's a force or there's something. I, I wasn't a strict atheist, but I, I wasn't, I, I would say I was somewhat agnostic. Um, so after high school, I continued, didn't have much direction, continued to um, just try to figure out life, get a job. I, I wanted to go to school at some point, um, but to continued um, going to concerts, doing the party scene, um, living according to every fleshly desire that I had. Um, I, I felt like um, I was going to live life to the fullest as, as much as I could. And the only obstacles for me was, was uh, time and money. <laughs> if I had all the money and time, I wa I, I'd just do whatever I wanted. Because, like, I, I was my, the, I guess, uh, my own uh, ruler, you know, I was in charge of my life. And uh, as most unbelievers think. And uh, 
So, and even some believers, we still have that within us, that we want to live life according to our own ways. Um, fast forward to the time I was about 23. Um, so, probably the, the only smart thing I did when I was a, in my late teens and early 20s was not going to debt. <laughs> I, I hate owing people, and, and, but I wanted to go to school, but I didn't want to go into debt to do it. So I continue to work, um, I guess, dead-end jobs just um, that really weren't going anywhere. Um, but I made enough money to do the things I like to do. Um, but right around the age of 23, I, I figure I, I need to figure something out because this isn't. And so I started looking for trade schools, try to try get an apprenticeship or something, get into a trade union. And um, that's when September 11th happened. And uh, I, w I was looking at trade unions, and then September 11th happened, and all my buddies all of a sudden got gung-ho about joining the military, and they were pretty patriotic. I wasn't super patriotic. I remember when I was a kid, I'd you know, play the soldier games and stuff, and cowboys and Indians in the woods and stuff, and me and my, my buddy, when we were like 12 years old, we'd talk about being Marines. And so September 11th happened. My buddies are all gung-ho. I don't have much direction. I don't have much money to go to school. So I'm like, you know what? I'll join the Marine Corps. I was like, I wanted to be a Marine when I was younger. I, I figured that's what I'll do. I'll get money for school. And then in four years, I'll figure out what I want to do with my life, and I'll have the money to do it. So I joined up. Uh, it was about November time frame. I went to boot camp December of that year, and uh, none of my buddies joined. <laughs> Except later on, after I finished boot camp, um, one of my buddies was like, wow, Joe, you actually did it. <laughs> so he later on joined the Navy. Um, but it was uh, through that, I think in boot camp, um, probably one of the times... Before boot camp, there was a time where I was at a concert and I was witness to. That was probably the first time I was witness to some guy um, handed me a Jack Chick track and was like, and it's funny because he's a dirty hippie, and he was like, hey man, are you saved? And I was like, ah. it, it, it gave me that track and it planted a seed. Well, later on in boot camp, um, as you know, that's a pretty big um, crossroad in life and thinking about life and, and, and you know September 11th just happened so I knew like possibility of me going to war is pretty high and I don't know where I'm gonna go so you know thinking about life and death and and uh, just the direction of my life and, and I started thinking about God more and, and um, I remember uh, we had in boot camp you have the opportunity to go to church on Sunday and so I went but not because I really wanted to go to church, but you get an hour away from your drill instructors. So, <laughs> so, and, and yeah, yeah. And so I, but being raised Roman Catholic, I, I wasn't convictionally Roman Catholic. I just went to the Roman Catholic service because I knew it was longer than the Protestant service. So that's more time away from the drill instructors. But anyways, it, it was just the thought of, God and the meaning of life and and you know that was another thing to get me to start thinking more deeply about life um, fast forward I, I end up in my unit 
and uh, I got stationed in Hawaii, um, which I was thankful for for about two months, and then after you did everything in two months, you're stuck on an island. Um, so, but um, it was there that I first time I personally met a true believer in my unit, and he had a he had a huge impact on us. Um, sadly, um, I did what the stereotypical Marines do. You know, you get into um, drinking and swearing and, and foul and immoral living. Um, but once again, as in high school, I wasn't, I didn't fall in with the bad crowd. That was just about everybody except this one guy who was a, who was a true believer. I knew he was different. There was a couple other guys that were somewhat different, but I, for sure, I knew he was different. And he would come around, our corpsman, uh, Doc Garcia, and he would come around once in a while. We'd be out on barracks drinking and swearing, and, and uh, he'd just come up all happy. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? And, and it's like, oh, we're good, Doc. And we were convicted just by his life, and we'd stop swearing when he'd come around, and, and he'd be like, oh, I'm praying for you guys or whatever. And that was it. Like, he could have been more aggressive in his witness, but he just sincerely loved us. And uh, he had a huge impact on everybody. And, and looking back, I kind of wish he was a little bit more vocal, more aggressive in his witness. But that was just his life. And, and um, so he had an impact on us. A couple years later, um, we would uh, deploy to Iraq. So it was 2004. We're deploying to Iraq. Um, and we end up... Uh, going into the Battle of Fallujah, 2004-2005. It's the biggest battle uh, Marines have fought since uh, Way City in Vietnam. And uh, I, my job, personally, I was a radio operator. My job was to, um, I was in an artillery unit. My job was to attach to infantry units and call in artillery for them, um, which I enjoyed. I, I wanted to do. I, I was really excited. I, I just wanted to blow something up. And uh, I had a couple, a couple um, you know, there was a three-man team from my unit. I was a radio operator on that team. And uh, right before, because our, my artillery unit, they were kind of in the back um, in the, on the base. So right before, the night before, we're going to assault the city. I go say my goodbyes to everybody because um, I don't know if I'm coming back. And then uh, there's Doc Garcia believer and he says um I say goodbye to him and uh he says come here he's like I don't care what you believe I'm going to pray for you and at that point I think there was a conviction I said I believe but it was it wasn't no understanding of the gospel it was just I believe in God um my dad and my stepmother who um there's a big question mark in my mind, whether or not they're true believers. Um, I don't think they are, but they would go to church once in a while. They, they listen to sermons once in a while. They have Bibles. They sent me a King James pocket Bible during that deployment. So I would play Bible roulette, <laughs> you know, where you flip open a page and find a verse, and then you read it, and you probably uh, take it out of its context. <laughs> and, uh, and what does this mean to me at the time <laughs> rather than what it really means? But, you know, I would do that. And so, um, and I'd pray and I'd start praying. And uh, 
then, you know, going into the battle, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh, seeing uh, when we were first assaulting and uh, that night and uh, gunfire and bombs and flares and all sorts of things going off. And uh, I remember uh, sitting in an alleyway in the first block of the city of Fallujah and it's, it's, it's raining. I remember um, sitting there and then, uh, you know, bombs are going off and all of a sudden I see a dog run past me like away from the city outside the city i've never seen a dog run so fast in my life <laughs> and it was just a mutt it wasn't a greyhound <laughs> so but it was it was running like a greyhound <laughs> and, uh, there which this is common i've learned with with veterans and in, in war is you know i made my deal with god <laughs> you know you get me out of this and i'll change my ways which he did get me out of that but I didn't change my ways. But I was through that whole deployment. I was, you know, I had my close calls. I had a lot of close calls. We lost some people. Uh, my unit of 150 Marines lost um, 30. And 27 of those were on a helicopter crash. So that's, and three of them died in direct combat. And there was a lot of wounded who um, went home early too. So very convicting. Um, Thankfully, no, none of them were my really close friends. I, I knew them, so it was still hard. Um, but once again, face to face with your own mortality and have to face that issue of life after death and what comes and heaven and hell. And uh, so, and, and there, were, there were a couple other believers that I met during that deployment that would plant seeds. And then after that deployment, um, I had about eight months to finish off my four-year contract and I was gonna go to school. And uh, my plan was to save money to go to school, get out, go to school, which I did. But I struggled PTSD and, and it was mainly spiritual things. Um, yeah, I had my nightmares, but there's always a spiritual aspect to it. Um, I have dreams of demons outside my window or whatever. Um, and I remember during that time frame, I used to drive around in my truck. And uh, when I drive around, I, I used to always scan radio stations, just listen to different radio stations. If I didn't like the song, I'd scan for another one. And I remember during that time, every once in a while, I'd, I'd find preaching on the radio and I don't I don't remember if it was good preaching or bad preaching I just felt like I should listen to it <laughs> and so I would I would listen to it so you know all along this from the time before I joined the Marine Corps all the way through that four year God was drawing me he was planting seeds there's little those divine encounters I, I remember um, my post-deployment leave uh, me and my buddy we went to see a friend, and she was going to University of uh, was it uh, San Diego, San Diego State University, and we're. She brings us up to um, there's this like student union where they have pool tables or whatever, and I remember um, you know me and my buddy were playing pool, and outside on the the commons or whatever, there's a guy that's he's street preaching, and I can't even hear him. But I, the fact that I see him there with a Bible, it was convicting me. And, uh, but I, I got out of the Marine Corps, I continued to 
kind of live the same way, uh, drinking and partying, worldly lifestyle. Um, but I still knew that, like, number one, I needed direction. I was going to go to school and figure out what I was going to do with my life. But number two, that there was that, still that spiritual conviction that I needed to go talk to somebody. I needed, whether in my mind, a priest, a chaplain, somebody, but, you know, even as Deb shared, I, deep down, I knew that if I went to talk to somebody, I'd have to change my ways. I, I'd have to live differently. And I still wanted to have my cake and eat it too, so to speak. I still wanted to live my lifestyle. Um, but that came to a head um, beginning of 2007. And uh, there's, there's some, some issues and... and um, uh, I was I was dating somebody and that fell apart and uh, it was coming up, the conviction kept growing and it was coming up on Lent and I figured I would um, I'm gonna give up drinking for Lent and going out and all that which I did I, I never my whole time when I was you know my all my drinking substance abuse I never felt like I was an addict never I felt I did it because I wanted to and if I wanted to stop I stopped. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, it was solely my desire. I wanted to do it. Um, when we had field exercises and I couldn't drink or whatever, I'll go back. It was all a personal desire. So I had the willpower to quit. I quit. I'm like, and then and I, I was figure, well, I'm going to, I quit drinking for Lent. I might as well go to church. <laughs> so, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully I was late that day because I was still you know I was raised Roman Catholic so I was going to go to Roman Catholic Mass and and in the back of my mind I still had the works righteousness system in my mind I did a lot of bad things in my teens and 20s but now I'm going to turn that around I'm going to do some good things and I'm going to you know outweigh the scales you know tip the scales in my favor I'm going to I'm going to clean myself up, be a good, upstanding citizen, get a job and a career, and then so that by the end of my life, the good will outweigh the bad. Um, and so thankfully, I was late for the Roman Catholic Mass, so I didn't want to go in late, so I went down the road to another church that had stained glass windows, and I figured that would do. And uh, it was a, ended up being a liberal Methodist church, and there's something about it that was just weird. Um, Number one, there's female pastors, which is an oxymoron. Um, and um, uh, so, but I went there, they were super nice. But I remember, I'm like, this is just not the place. But I remember during my times of scanning the radio station and listening to preaching, I remember something about someone talking about Baptists. And there was this Baptist church down the road, and I'm like, you know, I grew up in Roman. Catholicism, went to Methodist church. Why don't I try this Baptist church I know down the road? So I went to the Baptist church, and that first sermon, that first Sunday, I don't know what was preached, but I felt like I got stabbed in the gut. And I just felt like, you know what? I don't, I don't exactly want to be here, but I need to be here. So I kept going. They were really nice, and after about a month, um, still with the works righteousness mindset, I go to talk to the pastor after the service. 
and uh, he brings me into his office and I'm like, I'm struggling with these sins because like, you know, I had the willpower, you know, and, and the discipline being a Marine. I was like, I'm going to take care of this. <laughs> I'm going to weigh the scales. And so he, he starts asking me um, some things. I share about my Roman Catholic background a little bit. And then he cuts right to the chase. He could see a senior pastor, you know, they could see what's going on. So he shares with me, he talks about works versus grace. And then he shares with me a Bible passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by grace you have been saved, not through works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Um, and uh, right there, it was like the light bulb went off. And it just destroyed my whole works righteousness mentality because I was like, oh, if I could do something to merit favor with God and earn my salvation, then I would boast. And then I'd be prideful and self-righteous. And that's a sin. So it can't be by works. And then he shared some other things with me. And... Uh, I'm thankful he didn't manipulate me or anything. He just, he just said, do you want to pray? And I prayed, um, and I believe I was converted there. I believe I was converted there because right after I was like, hey, pastor, I got this Bible. I don't know what to read. I'd flip it open once in a while. I read it. He's like, okay. He's like, first thing, that's a King James. He's like, which is a good translation 400 years ago, but we don't read newspapers like that. We don't read other books like that. Um, so he was like, I would get a, a different modern translation that's good, either New King James, ESV, New American Standard, whatever. And uh, he's like, read the Gospel of John. So that's what I did. I bought a New King James. I read the Gospel of John. And, um, and I told him the story about my buddy, the corpsman, who after the deployment, he handed me more tracks, <laughs> so, which planted more seeds. Um, but I called him that night, and I just broke down weeping. And he said... You know, Dival, this, I remember many nights, and he's like, I would be praying for you. And he's like, you know, um, God will give you a thousand second chances. And, uh, and it was, and he told me to read the book of Romans. <laughs> and so, so I read John, I read Romans, and that first um, few months I grew like a weed. I got out of my apartment that I was leasing with a old high school friend got my own place and from that point out I just went to church and school grew like weed my pastor discipled me and then a few years later um, I start thinking I'm serving in the church I'm teaching and I start thinking about um, full-time ministry and seminary and it's just like God one step after another leading me and pointing me away and and uh, then I ended up going to master's seminary and uh, yeah, and now I'm here. So. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that first year I just I just grew. My I was discipled and um, read the Bible in a year. And uh, after about a year, I they started asking me to teach, which just humbled me. And uh, that led to other things and other services in this church. And I was going through ROTC and had to pick a job and I thought, thought about being a chaplain and that led to me starting to think about seminary and counseling with other chaplains and my pastors and they pushed me towards master seminary. 
but that's that's kind of the what 20 minute version so um, and I think we're about uh, time is up for um, but yep <laughs> so uh, you know yeah yeah if you have any other um, questions you know you free approach me or comments um, let me uh, close in prayer and we'll, we'll go to um, have our break and then prepare for a worship service Heavenly Father we thank you for your mercy and your grace your grace that you pour out upon sinners like us Lord your word is clear no one seeks after God None are righteous, no, not one. But you seek and save the lost. And you came to save sinners like us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to live in light of your grace and mercy and to show grace and mercy to others and to honor you in all we think, say, and do. Please bless our worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.